so the question I want to ask you, I see you're wearing some, some waders. Um, did you wash your waders since the last time you used them? No judgment here. This is a no judgment survey. Just, just curious. No, I did not. <laughs> Lauren Morrissey is about to fish a popular river in northern Michigan. And as you heard, she's got her waders on, basically waterproof overalls with attached boots. Over the weekend, Lauren was almost 300 miles away, fishing in the Upper Peninsula. The Carp River. That was the last place we went, just yesterday. And um, so wearing the same waders, but... Yeah, same waders and all. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I go no waders, though. I just go my Crocs, (laughs) if it's warm enough. Lauren is at the Boardman River with her husband, Nick. So I ask him the same question. Did you wash your waders from the last time you went fly fishing? No, I didn't. It's not every day that I pull off the road to ask folks about their laundering habits. But in the case of waders, it really matters if anglers wash them or not. In fact, you could say the health of the river, including the fish, depends on it. That's because invasive species often hitchhike to other water bodies on anglers. This was a really last minute. We were driving through. We saw the river, so we'll just stop and fish. No cleaning. But we never do, to be honest. And if you think Lauren and Nick Morrissey are the outliers in the fishing community, you're wrong. This is Points North, a podcast about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Great Lakes. I'm Dan Wanshura. Today on the show, why anglers don't clean their gear, even though it protects the very thing they're after, fish. And what could change that? That's coming up right after this. Points North is brought to you in part by Cherry Republic, celebrating northern Michigan's tart cherries with products like jams, barbecue sauces, chocolate-covered cherries, and more online at cherryrepublic.com. And Aspire North Realtors, bringing real estate professionals together, supporting their involvement in the community, and advocating for the industry in a sustainable way. Online at aspirenorthrealtors.com. It was 2016, and Samantha Tank was digging around in Michigan's Pier Marquette River like manual searches where I'm, you know, hands in the water, waiting, picking up rocks, picking up sticks, picking up plant material and and trying to detect mud snails. An invasive species called New Zealand mud snails. They're tiny, around the size of a grain of rice, and they totally disrupt the fish food chain. The state wanted to know more about why the snails were spreading. And Samantha, who was studying for her master's at Michigan State University, found lots of them. Some of the things that we noticed is that they were really abundant around access points. Specifically, access points to popular fly fishing spots. There seemed to be a link between the spread of New Zealand mud snails and anglers. These snails can latch onto waders and survive weeks with just a little bit of moisture. Then, when an angler goes fishing again, they just hop off and start multiplying. By the way, non-anglers can carry them too, mud snails and all sorts of other aquatic life. They can hitch a ride on boats, paddles, boots, all sorts of gear. Another component of this work 
ended up being conducting angler surveys as well. Samantha and her team would go up to people fishing the Pier Marquette River and ask them questions like, have you fished another river within the last two days? Do you plan to fish another river within the next two days? Do you clean your waders between fishing trips? And if so, how? And then at the very end, after all of these other questions, we asked them if they were aware of New Zealand mud snails being present in the Pier Marquette River. Samantha says they interviewed over 300 people, crunched all that data, and what they found was really surprising. Of the anglers who knew about the New Zealand mud snail infestation, a whopping 55% of them still did not clean their gear. What we kind of went into this expecting is that awareness had some significant correlation to action. So if you were aware that mud snails were present in the system, you were more likely to take some action to decontaminate or, or clean your equipment. But that wasn't true. Instead, the survey showed there wasn't really any difference in cleaning habits, whether anglers knew mud snails were around or not. We did a literature review to see if this was consistent with other people's findings, and it does seem consistent. A 2008 study published in the North American Journal of Fisheries Management looked at anglers in Wyoming. They asked them if they knew about the parasite that causes whirling disease in fish and whether they cleaned their gear because of it. And the results backed up what Samantha found. The awareness of an issue is really not the biggest factor in, in changing people's behavior. What impacts or what informs someone's behavior has a lot more to do with personal values and social norms than it does just awareness. When you think about it, maybe it's not so surprising that this is the case. Like, we all know exercising and working out is really good for our health, right? But does that mean we're all consistently doing it? No. And there are a lot of different reasons why. Researchers call those inhibitors or impediments. When I don't work out, a common excuse I use is time. I don't have enough of it. Time is also a big inhibitor for fly anglers not cleaning their gear. Remember Lauren Morrissey from the beginning of the episode? We're always on the go and, you know, it's a lot of like getting back to our place before work and we're just unpack or we'll just do it later and it never gets done. A lot of times like our waiters are just chilling in our car, so we don't ever take them out and rinse them off. Like they're just in there in case we ever stop and do a spontaneous fly fishing trip. Yeah, it's just the time. There's a lot more inhibitors too. Like it's not always super clear how anglers should clean their gear. Do I need to spray my waders off with 120 degree water or soak them in some kind of cleaning solution? That sort of confusion just around like, I'm hearing eight different things, so I don't know what the best is, well, I'm just not gonna do anything. That it certainly could be. That's Lucas Nathan, an invasive species coordinator for the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. There have been efforts to simplify that messaging nationally. Slogans like clean, drain, dry. That's short for clean your gear, drain any water in your boat before leaving, and make sure everything is dry before using it in another water body. It's general because it applies to all aquatic invasive species. And that's intentional. If it's not New Zealand mud snails, it's any number of others. Invasive species can be a slow burn. 
the sort of problem that isn't until it is. And by then, it could be too late for the ecosystem. Just look at zebra and quagga mussels, or sea lamprey, or invasive carp. The money spent on controlling and preventing further spread of these species alone in the Great Lakes region is in the millions, sometimes billions of dollars annually. So is there a solution? How do you change behavior? Lucas Nathan says something similar to Samantha Tank here. Ultimately, it all comes down to individual values and choices. It's no different than how we choose to you know, make decisions about our purchases and do we choose local or do we go with processed food? You know, those kinds of things like are all cumulative result of, of your personal values and things that you want to prioritize in, in your life. And if enough people buy in, it starts to become the social norm, behavior that's widely accepted. One example of a social norm is catch-and-release fly fishing. Conservationist Lee Wolf popularized the idea in the 1930s. He wrote, Game fish are too valuable to be caught only once. According to Fly Fisherman magazine, it took decades for catch-and-release fishing to catch on, but anglers eventually realized it helped conserve fish stocks. Today, catch-and-release is widely practiced and encouraged by organizations like Trout Unlimited. Dan Hayes is near another popular access point on the Boardman River. He's a professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife. He's assembling what he calls a boot washing station. It's really just a platform about three feet wide with a boot brush attached to the bottom. There's also a sign with information about New Zealand mud snails on it. The idea with the brush is that it would brush off any surficial material. So it's not like disinfectant, it's not killing things outright, but it's, it's removing them so you're less likely to, to move them to another spot. Then run your, your hook through the bristle brush that's um, attached to the center. And you can see it's taking off a lot of the, the dirt and whatever's on my shoes. To determine whether or not anglers are using it, Dan straps a trail camera to a tree directly across from the boot cleaning station. He wants to give easy access to a simple cleaning tool and see if it makes any difference. So if you have a boot wash station right where you're fishing, right on your way out, you know, that minimizes the impediment. Stations like this have been set up at other rivers throughout Michigan. Dan and his team are still analyzing the data, but initial results aren't super encouraging. Of nearly 9,000 people captured on trail cameras wearing waders, over 87% walked right by the washing station. Totally ignored it. But like catch and release, Dan Hayes knows change can take a long time. One of the teasers that we saw in the data, but we haven't completed analysis, is adults with children coming up on a boot wash station are more likely to use it than people alone. And through the audio, sometimes you hear, well, dad or mom, what's that? Dad or mom has to respond. You know, this is how we start that process of kind of awareness, but developing social norms. You know, if a kid starts when they're young, they're probably going to continue as an adult. Lauren and Nick Morrissey recently moved to Michigan from Colorado. They didn't know about the invasive mud snail, but I told them. So, um, wrapping up, now that you are aware that there are invasives, specifically the 
the New Zealand mud snails, um, which they actually think got here from streams and rivers out west. What, what do you think you might do or would you change um, your behavior potentially? Absolutely. I mean, um, being hunters and fishers, both of us, we're always, you know, looking to make sure we're being um, the best conservationists that we can be. So if there's more knowledge there, then there's more power. And um, I would definitely take the step to make sure that I do my part and be more responsible in that for sure. Maybe awareness will work for them. Will it work for you? That episode was produced by me, Dan Wanshura. It was edited by Morgan Springer. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Samantha Tank, the lead researcher behind the main study in this episode, now works for the Great Lakes Commission. Her job is to try to prevent and control the spread of aquatic invasive species. For more stories from around the Great Lakes, listen and subscribe to Points North wherever you find podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at Points North Podcast. Points North is a production of Interlochen Public Radio.